Gracious and loving God, we thank you for bringing us safely to a brand new day, and we pray that you would bless us as we study Exodus chapter 5 today, that we would have our hearts softened as a result of our study, and that we would be more mindful of your desire to liberate not just us, but all those in this world. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go so that they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God, or he will fall upon us with pestilence or sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working? That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for, them, for themselves, but you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That is why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. So the taskmasters and the supervisors of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves where you can find it, but your work will not be lessened in the least. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work. The same daily assignment as when you were given straw. And the supervisors of the Israelites, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why did you not finish the required quantity of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? Then the Israelite supervisors came to Pharaoh and cried, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look how your servants are beaten. You are unjust to your own people. He said, You are lazy, lazy. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. The Israelite supervisors saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you shall not lessen your daily number of bricks. As they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them. They said to them, the Lord look upon you and judge. You have brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned again to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have done nothing at all to deliver your people. Okay, and that ends Exodus chapter 5. 
And so Moses and Aaron, we recall that at the end of chapter four, there was a lot of celebration when they went and broke the news to the people of Israel that God had heard their cries and everyone is worshiping God. And it's time for the action to begin. And Moses and Aaron are no doubt hoping that there's just going to be a very swift and easy, non-bloody victory over Pharaoh and they get to go about their day as liberated people. But of course, that's not how it goes, that whenever they go to Pharaoh, there are challenges. And so they go to Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. And uh, let my people go is the traditional refrain in all the movies and in all the songs that has a nice ring to it. But I'm going to point out places where the NRSV does not do justice to the translation only when necessary. This is one of them because really what the Hebrew is saying is divorce my people, divorce my people. And the reason that's going to be important is because there's going to be this motif in scripture where God is our husband. God is a jealous husband. God does not want us to be betrothed to another. And of course, this theme will really uh, come to fruition with the church as the bride of Christ. Um, but, but God wishes to marry God's people. In fact, the very end of the book of Revelation is God marrying not just his people, but heaven and earth. They get married. It's a big marriage celebration. What is Jesus's first miracle? But turning water into wine. Where? At a wedding. Because the idea of God wedding or marrying God's people is one of the big motifs of scripture. So before they can get married, Israel first has to get a divorce, a divorce from Pharaoh, the one who enslaves them. And so God says, divorce my people. But Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? And of course, Pharaoh's ignorance of God and his arrogance as one who pretends to be a god is all implied in this question, who is the Lord? But there's also a little bit of double meaning here, because that really is the question that Exodus is seeking to answer. Who is the Lord? What is he like? What is the Lord's name? Remember in scripture, the name of someone is not just their title, it's their character, it's their essence. And so to ask who is the Lord is to say, what is this Lord really about? There's going to be a, a really curious verse. I don't want to skip too far ahead, but in Exodus chapter six, where God tells Moses, I did not fully reveal my name to the patriarchs. And of course, that's a, a little bit of a curious statement. But if you really think about the Lord's name, uh, the Lord's identity being tied to liberation, that statement is true, right? Because there's not really a, a, a giant liberation that's needed until the book of Exodus, and thus the Lord's name is not fully revealed until God is seen to be the great liberator. But Pharaoh tees up a really central question of the book, who is the Lord? And in a sense, this is the question for all of us. Who is the Lord to you? Uh, what did Jesus say to Simon Peter? Who do people say that I am? Who is the Lord? And that's the question Pharaoh asks sadly, with arrogance, as opposed to you and I, who hopefully ask it from a place of humility. But Moses says, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us and, and tells us to go a three days journey to the wilderness to sacrifice, or he will fall upon us with pestilence and sword. I, I don't think that this is to be understood 
as what God really intends to do, um, right? Um, God is not ready to kill them if they don't worship. But this would have been an understandable concept in the ancient Near East that a national deity would need to be propitiated through sacrifice. And so really what they're doing is making a sensible request in Pharaoh's language that they hope Pharaoh can understand, not making a statement about God. And, and a bit about this idea of the God of the Hebrews, a question was raised at our Sunday study about the difference between the Hebrews and the Israelites. And I kind of bungled the question a bit, but, but basically the Hebrews are the descendants of Abraham, but really before they became a national people, as the 12 tribes join together as they become more official, you know, the closer we get to having a king and judges, we move from the Hebrews, which is more of a, a wandering tribe or an enslaved people without their own national independence and identity. But as they move towards that, they become the Israelites and, and later on the Jews. And, and there's a little bit more to it, but I just want to point that out there. So the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is not very pleased with Moses and Aaron. To Pharaoh, they are a distraction, and they are taking the people away from their work. And so Pharaoh commands the taskmasters as well as the supervisors to no longer provide straw to make the bricks, but to demand the exact same quantity. In a sense, Pharaoh is just punishing the Hebrews because Moses and Aaron are making this request. He's just being kind of mean. Um, but there's also kind of this subtle myth at work here that's still alive, which is if I'm tougher on people, they will improve. You know, you're lazy, lazy, lazy. If I'm just a little bit harder on people, that's going to fix them. That tough love is what we say in our world today. And I just think that it's worth pointing out because not everyone here, but some of you probably have an inner pharaoh, an inner commentator that kind of wags a finger at your own behavior saying you're lazy, lazy, lazy. Um, you need to work a lot harder than you currently are. Your problem is you don't work hard enough. And that myth is very much still alive. You know, if we just tell people to work harder, things are going to get better. I want to point out a difference between taskmasters and supervisors. The taskmasters are the Egyptians. The supervisors are the Israelites or the Hebrews who have been put in charge of the other slaves. They're like kind of the head of the slaves, but they are still slaves. And so they are instructed that they have to make the same quantity of bricks, but to do it with fewer resources. Pharaoh says, let heavier work be laid upon them. Let heavier work be laid upon them. And aside from looking at the way that we say that to others, you know, so-and-so is just lazy, make them work harder. I think it's important, important to contrast Pharaoh's words, let heavier work be laid upon them to what Jesus says. Come unto me, all ye that are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I say that because Jesus had the whole story of the Exodus and really the Bible in mind as he taught. And so what he's doing here is drawing a distinction between Pharaoh and himself. You know, Pharaoh says, work harder. Your burden needs to be heavier. And in fact, Jesus made a similar critique 
of the religious leadership of his day. He said that these people, you know, they tie up burdens that are impossible to bear and they lay them on the shoulders of the people, whereas they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. That's what he said of the Pharisees, which is really insulting because he is comparing them to Pharaoh who enslaved God's people. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let lighter work be laid upon them. And of course, that then presents us with the paradox because Jesus also said, take up your cross. And so we know the heaviness of the cross and the lightness of the cross. And that paradox is all kind of woven into Jesus's teachings. But that teaching is meant to contrast with Pharaoh, who just enslaves with punishing commands to make more bricks. And so in verse 10, we have, thus says Pharaoh. Thus says is a formula, a formula of someone claiming to have authority as they speak. And so the thus says of Pharaoh is meant to contrast with the thus says the Lord of the prophets. The question is, who has authority here? So thus says Pharaoh, I'm not going to give you any straw. And so in verse 12, we're told that the people scattered throughout the land. And this scattering throughout the land of Exodus 5.12 is an echo, albeit a perverse one, of Genesis 1.28, where the people spread throughout the land. They are fruitful and they multiply. And what we are going to have several times in the book of Exodus is like this, uh, this perversion of creation, that slavery is a perversion or a... Um, um, a soiled creation. So the people are um, scattering throughout the land, but not the way that God hoped for them. Um, they are told to complete their work, to be productive, to make more bricks. And we had a conversation about this on Sunday, but whenever the people scatter throughout the land in Genesis, they're told to be fruitful and multiply, to be fruitful um, fruitfulness is what Jesus commands of his disciples. Um, unless you abide in me, you do not bear good fruit. The good tree bears good fruit. Um, but what Pharaoh wants is productivity, make more bricks, produce more, work harder, get more done. And so the fruitfulness of life with God and the easy burden is compared with the demand to scatter as we seek to be productive. And I think we can have some interesting conversation about the way that society wants to enslave us um, with this command to make more bricks and to stop being lazy, right? Do more with less is kind of um, a command that we still feel today. And of course, whenever they are set up and fail, um, they are accused in verse 14. Why didn't you finish the required quantity of bricks? Well, it's obvious because they were given an impossible task. And so often the accusation that we face in our life, whether that comes from within or for without, we are accused for uh, failing um, to fulfill impossible commands. And, and those can be anything, you know, so for example, you know, I often ask myself, you know, okay, why don't you sleep 10 hours a night and exercise for two hours a day and pray for one hour a day? 
and visit five people in the hospital a day and spend 10 hours on your sermon a week. You know, I kind of had this long list of what I should be doing, but the truth is I've got three kids and my life is like a bucket with holes where energy is always leaking out. And so I accuse myself of not being able to do that, which is impossible. You know, we see this a lot in, in culture um, where, um, you know, I, I think a lot about uh, gender expectations, you know, so like in um, the United States of America, you know, women are both uh, supposed to be, and, and of course, when I say supposed to be, I mean, this is like the magazine cultural expectation you know, you want to be um, kind and always accommodating, but also speak your mind. Well, those are kind of two different things. You know, people are given two impossible tasks at once. Or men, you know, you you really need to uh, achieve and to make a name for yourself, but don't be too invested in your work. Spend time with your kids, you know, that often culture gives us these expectations that are at odds uh, with themselves and we try and do it all. Uh, and so one of the things that we can look at is where is it that we are trying to make the same amount of bricks uh, and gather our own straw. But to go back to the story uh, that we're given and to take it out of our life. So the Israelite supervisors, they come to Pharaoh and they basically say, this is impossible. And what we have in verse 15 is they say, why do you treat your servants like this? You are unjust to your own people. That is a bad translation. A better translation is the fault is your people's. The fault is your people's. It's the exact opposite of the translation we have. And the reason that's important is because the Hebrews are not Pharaoh's people. That's the whole thing. They're God's people, right? So the the Hebrews are not Pharaoh's people, they are God's people. And what the supervisors and, Mara, uh, and, and Moses are asking is for them to, to marry, to be with their God. But Pharaoh says, you're lazy, 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 lazy. Um, and so um, the Israelite supervisors see that they're in trouble, that Pharaoh will not listen. And so they're very discouraged and they come upon Moses and Aaron who are waiting to meet them. So Moses and Aaron know that the supervisors are going to speak to Pharaoh. And basically, Moses and Aaron take it on the chin, right? The taskmasters and the Egyptians beat the supervisors, and then the supervisors offload all that hurt onto Moses and Aaron. And that's how violence and slavery works, right? When we're abused, we abuse others. Whenever we're hurt, we're hurt others. Um, and then, you know, Moses, who does he beat up on? He beats up on God, <laughs> right? You've mistreated your people. Moses then accuses God. And so the Egyptians abuse the supervisors, the abuser, the, the supervisors abuse Moses. Moses then tries to abuse God and things are off track. This story of liberation uh, is not moving the way that we thought that it would or hope that it would at the end of chapter four when everyone's worshiping God, things have gotten worse. And I think the lesson there before we go into our conversation is simply this, um, that this is how salvation always works in scripture. This is how growth works. It's not that when God liberates, God snaps God's fingers 
and uh, everything's just fine. But often in life, things get worse before they get better. You know, think about um, someone who's addicted to alcohol, who wants to know the freedom of not taking a drink. Do they just snap their fingers and everything's fine? No, they go to rehab and they have a horrible breakdown and they go through physical withdrawals and all kinds of things as part of their liberation process. Uh, I think the same is often true in the Christian life where, you know, we give our life to God, we're ready to learn to follow Jesus, but we have all the same habits and patterns and difficulties that we have to work through. Um, and so this theme will then be picked up in the New Testament when Paul says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the rulers in the heavenly places. Basically, even though we are liberated in Christ, there's still a battle to fight. And so um, I think that's its own interesting theme of the book of Exodus, that, that as God frees the people, God frees them to do battle, right? Because there's the battle at first with Egypt, there's the battle with themselves, but then they go to the wilderness where they have to prepare to do battle with the people of Canaan, right? It is an occupied land they enter. And so that's a very interesting thing about the Christian life and about the, you know, a Jewish and Christian tradition is that the liberation God brings often brings with it a different battle to fight.